you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I am your host, Janine Garner, and it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you to today's podcast. Um, I It's wonderful to say hi to those of you that have been here before. If this is new, I hope you enjoy this podcast, which is all about exploring how individuals find their point of difference. What is their passion? What is their brilliance? What drives them to succeed? And what insights and musings uh, around the concept of unleashing brilliance that they have that they want to share with you? So I unlock their story and we explore their learnings. If you love Love this podcast. Um, I've been asked for uh, that I need to actually ask you for some help. Um, my wonderful team have said, Janine, if people love the podcast, get them to do a review. So if that feels appropriate for you, a massive high five of thanks, gratitude and appreciation. If you could leave a review, that would be awesome. So who is today's guest? Well, today's guest is Anne Jamison. She is the CEO of Saxton Speakers Bureau and Saxton Engage, which is a bureau that believes in the power of stories to drive positive change. Uh, I am actually part of the Saxton Speaker Bureau. Uh, they manage my speaking and all of my bookings. And it was really during a international trip to Macau that I had the chance to hang out with Anne Uh, talk to Anne about her career and really learn about her journey of where she came from and how she navigated her career to get to where she is now. Um, The awesome thing about Anne is, um, you know, she she failed at school. She openly admits she messed around at school and as a result didn't get the grades to be able to further her education and uh, follow the career that she originally wanted. But with a stack of resilience, a stack of determination and an absolute attitude to saying yes and trusting the people around her, uh, she managed to uh, build a 30-year career in senior executive roles in the events and hospitality industry before moving across to Saxton in 2018. Her accolades are are actually many. She was appointed uh, chair of the Victorian tourism industry uh, here in Australia, and she holds a seat on the board of Victorian Tourism Industry Council. In 2019, she was actually awarded uh, the Victorian Tourism Award for Outstanding Contribution by an Individual. So it's an absolute joy to welcome Anne to this podcast. So listen in as she shares her story of resilience, as she discusses the importance of bringing your best self to work and taking ownership of who you are being, and also about her passion around amplifying the talent around her and her message to all of us to trust in our own capability, and to never be afraid to say yes. Enjoy. 
It's such a pleasure to have on today's podcast uh, the incredible Anne Jamison. Um, I was lucky enough uh, to meet Anne last year when uh, we went to Macau together as part of Saxton Speaker Bureau. And subsequently, we have been doing some awesome work as we transition through and out of COVID. And also just some of the conversations that I've had with Anne in terms of her concept of leadership and her vision for the future. So it's an absolute joy to welcome you, Anne. Welcome. Thanks, Janine. It's an absolute delight to be here. And uh, yeah, really excited to have this conversation with you. So tell us a little bit about, you know, who who are you? Who is Anne and um, what is it that, you, that you're doing right now? How did you get to where you're currently at? Okay, so sort of goes back a few years really but um, I was uh, I was born in Melbourne Australia uh, I lived in a suburb called Mount Waverley with my family which actually included four brothers uh, a working mum and my father who was a civil engineer um, I was child number four so I have a baby brother uh, and of course we lived with a variety of animals over the years and what was really exciting about that was I actually had my own bedroom because I was the only girl. Yay. <laughs> yeah, correct. And uh, sort of grew, grew up in a really inclusive environment, you know, I spent most of my time outside playing cricket and riding bikes and doing all the things that kids did back in those days, sort of different from there. And then from there I attended uh, just Mount Waverley Primary School, which was at the bottom of our road. And at the time, you know, there were paddocks and everything down the bottom of the road, so you'd walk down to school. Uh, But from a really, really early age, I actually disliked school. And I actually used to hide in our neighbours' trees or I'd climb onto their roof so I didn't have to go. So mum would spend hours trying to find me. And as a consequence, I would often make her um, late for work. But um, and then um, I went to Corowa. I went to an all-girls school here in Melbourne in Glen Iris. It was a very academic school, and uh, and I was just not that way inclined. And I did the very least that I could to actually get myself through. So after school, I just took a year off and I worked full time at Myers while I really tried to determine what it is that I wanted to do when I grew up. And I realised that I really loved working with people, Um, any sort of communication with people. I just, I loved it. I really enjoyed talking to people. I really enjoyed hearing their stories. And so really wanted to sort of transition from uh, Myers retail into the sort of hospitality and tourism, which back then was sort of, you know, something that you did when you were actually going through college, you know. It was not ever considered to be a serious career. And... um, I applied to William Anglis College uh, here in Melbourne and I had to go through a series of interviews to actually get into the college. Uh, It wasn't actually um, ATAR or VCE rated. It was actually based on an interview. And that was the first time that I actually had the feeling and desire that I really, really wanted something. You know, that burning you get in your gut Mm. and you sort of suddenly find that you have this sense of purpose and direction. Mm. And uh, so I was fortunate enough to get into William Angles College and then after graduating um, I joined, back then it was actually called Southern Pacific Hotel Corporation, uh, which was the Travel Lodges and the Park Royals and I started with them as a corporate trainee out at Melbourne Airport Travel Lodge here in Melbourne, which is now a Holiday Inn. 
And then I just worked in every department within um, a hotel, so front office, reservations, housekeeping, maintenance, every area, and then realised very quickly that there was this whole sort of sales and marketing team within the um, tourism industry. And so as a consequence from that, I moved into sales and then sort of progressed all my way through the hospitality industry in the 90s into the early, you know, 2000s. And then I uh, was fortunate enough to actually um, secure a role at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. Um, so I went in there initially as Director of Sales. And for me, that was sort of a bit of an ultimate. That was a bit of a dream job for me. And I was there for nine years. And um, from a career perspective, really important from my own personal uh, ambition to sort of take the next step. And then the opportunity came up with Saxton sort of 18 months, nearly two years ago now, um, to actually step in. The business had been sold um, and was purchased by two gentlemen. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be the one that secured the job as CEO. So that's kind of where I ended up. But sort of, I think, you know, it's sort of well and truly over 30 years now. And I really had no idea that my, my career in the tourism and the events industry would actually become, you know, my place and um, something that I'm so incredibly passionate about. And it's such a, I love the way you sort of reeled off the the wonderful story of where it all started and the evolution to where you're at now. Look at, looking back over that in, in hindsight, when you look at the role you're doing now, Anne, mm-hmm. how do you think um, all of that previous experience has set you up to now lead as CEO the um, the Saxton business? Yeah, I think there's probably like, you know, there's probably maybe half a dozen moments through that journey, you know. I think the first one for me was really, um, you know, I didn't work hard enough at school Um, and one of the things that I've sort of I really tried to drill into my kids actually as a consequence of that was that because I didn't do that, I actually limited my choices and therefore I really had to rethink my career and what I wanted to do. Um, and I still knew that I was good with people and I was easy to talk to and I wanted to go down that path. But, you know, potentially my path might have been very different if I had worked harder at school and had a better uh, a better um, uh, ATAIR score. Um, and then I think another sort of really key moment for me was that when I wanted to make the progression into sales, um, there was a female actually running the sales team at the time and she and I clashed. You know, sometimes in your career you just clash with people and you can just not find a way forward to work together. And so it didn't matter what I did, it didn't matter how I went about going through things or interview after interview, I just I could not get my foot in the door. Um And not only does that sort of start to drive self-doubt, you know, oh, can I actually do this? But, you know, what do I need to do to make this happen? So I actually left and I ended up joining another company, ended up joining um, Starwood Hotels. And I think one of the other key moments in that was, you know, you don't always get what you want. Mm. So it's really important that you try and try again and don't, don't lose your focus on your end goal. So whatever your end goal is, be true to that. And it might be that you have to take side steps or a back step or, you know, cross steps or whatever on the way in your journey. But for me, that was probably one of them. 
And then the last one, I think, you know, back in the 90s when I was in the hospitality industry very early on, it was incredibly male-dominated. Um, and I found that I had to adjust myself to fit in. Um, and that, and sometimes that came at a cost because you're not always being true to yourself. And so the way that I overcame that was that I actually started journaling and I started to write things down because I found, because I was still so young and sort of relatively naive from an industry perspective, you know, you become very emotional. Um, and, I, you know, sometimes that's more female-centric than it is male. So I found that by journaling it actually helped remove the emotion and I could actually concentrate just on the facts. And so by doing that, it ensured that I actually became a person of value and that I actually had a voice. And, and, and not always easy and not always listened to and that's fine, but just sort of gave me the ability to have a voice, speak with confidence and it sort of takes it take, took away that you know, when you're sort of young and you're really early on in your career and you're sitting in a meeting and somebody's asked a question and you know you go oh look I'm really sorry but I think I know the answer you know you sort of you find yourself apologizing for actually knowing the answer so I think that it sort of also gave me the ability to learn to speak with um, confidence and when an opportunity arose to say yes you know just back yourself. Oh my gosh, there are so many things I just want to delve into oh. on the, on that question. So, so I just want to, from you know, you did you touched on the fact that you are one of five, mm -hmm. uh, the only girl, surrounded by four boys. Yeah. What What did you learn by being one girl amongst four boys? What did that teach you? Um. Oh, it's such a good question. I think that. Um, it taught me to be quiet. I think it taught me resilience. You know, one of the other things that was really evident and still is in my family is um, sarcasm. My brothers are very can be very sarcastic. And often, you know, in a situation from a work perspective, I would throw sarcasm in and often that would get lost on people because they had not been brought up in a sarcastic environment. So I had to sort of learn to not use sarcasm to manage situations like I would with my brothers. Um, it also, I think it taught me a level of um, competitiveness, but in a healthy way, not in a destructive way. My brothers were um, all within their own right, incredibly successful. You know, two of them went to university and have gone on to have incredible careers. And that for me was very much a driver. I kind of, because I sort of messed around at school, I kind of felt like I was always playing catch-up um, and that I sort of really had to prove that I was actually really capable of actually doing a really good job in whatever job I was in at the time. Um, but I think it also, it, you know, the fact, I think I said early on, we were very much an inclusive family, so it was never, oh, you're a girl, you can't play kind of thing. It was, you know, if we were playing cricket in the driveway or we were doing whatever, it was everybody was in. It was, yeah, it was a very cohesive group and still is today. I love the way, I love the, the fact that you said resilience because that's one of the words I wrote down here. Mm. And and then that was backed up with you, you sort of skirted over it, but I just want to talk to it. You know, you talked about I messed around at school, 
Um, I didn't necessarily get the the ATAR, which is the equivalent of your high school graduation mark, so you can go on and do further study. So essentially, you you to all intents and purposes, you could say your messing around at school led to a failure at school, and yet you're now here as CEO, and you've talked about your journey, and I hear so much resilience and determination in that. So my question really is to anyone listening, um, you know, I've got teenage children right now too. Yeah. And I'm sure there's other people listening that may go, oh, that was me. What what did that teach you? The fact that, you know, there's such a society rule of you must get this score, you must go to uni, you must yeah. get this experience. And yet you've achieved um, you know, you're at the pinnacle of your career in terms of the what you're doing right now as CEO of an organization. You've still got there. What how did you what do you think it was? Do you, you know, despite that messing around at school that got you to where you are? Oh goodness me, such a big question. <laughs> I think that um look, I've always been incredibly ambitious and I and I do think that that ambition came from one you know really wanting to make my parents proud of what I was doing not and that's not a negative um, comment that is just you know I adored my parents um, and my father was an incredible sort of mentor and support to me so it was always about being able to sort of go to him and say look I've done this I've been successful in this so very driven but very sort of, you know, goal-orientated. You know, before when I talked about journaling, I think that was probably the first time that I realised it was really important to write down what you want to do as a person and what your end goal is. You know, through that journey we also, you know, I was married back then. Um, I'm no longer married to the father of my children but, we may also made some very definitive decisions that we would follow my career. Um, and so I had support at home because he was at home with the kids so I could really focus on my career and keep driving forward. Um, but I, I just I think it's all about very much about setting goals and, you know, sort of being like a sponge really and just watching around you, you know, in terms of what you learn from a leadership perspective, you know, from, you know, I'm going to sort of digress into a little bit on leadership here because there were some really big learnings in there for me in terms of, you know, I was incredibly ambitious but I didn't want to be that, oh, you know, she's that ambitious woman kind of thing, you know, that was tarnished with she's an aggressive, ambitious woman. I, I wanted to be known far more sort of more from an empathetic perspective. And so I, I kind of, from a resilience perspective, I learned very early on that it's really important to be selfless and don't make it about you um, and to cons constantly mentor and drive people to be a better version of themselves. And, you know, that's often through open and honest and thoughtful feedback. And there have been a number of times where, you know, I've, I've been called into an office by somebody I was working for telling me you, you can't, you know, you can't do that, you can't operate like that, you can't talk to people like that. And so, you know, I think probably one of the very first people I worked for, he was a very um, aggressive uh, manager and so as a consequence, as a young girl, still relatively naive in the leadership perspective, thought that that was the right way to go and then all of a sudden I've 
sort of get a promotion and then that's how I'm behaving and then somebody pulls you in and says, ah, 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 that is not how you behave. And so learning really quickly not to behave in that way and that's not the right way to behave, if that makes mm. sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we've, as you said, you know, the, the, the lessons learned through life that you're now putting into leadership, I think, are key. You know, at the time of recording this, the world is going through so much disruption yeah. uh, where, you know, we are, have so many an- questions that we would love to be answered and that those answers are very few. Um, from your perspective, as the leader uh, in a business that has a team that has endless clients that you know is a global um, operator mm-hmm. what what from your perspective do you think is absolutely critical uh, in leadership right now oh I think that it's very much around um, being a very empathetic um, leader I think emotional intelligence is sort of probably the number one priority because you know we are in a situation that we have never been in before. This is, you know, and as much as this is a bit of a cliche, this is very much unprecedented times. And, you know, I think, you know, there's probably two two, two areas that people are, are potentially playing in, and that is very much around um, sympathising with somebody. So you can sympathise with somebody and you can feel bad for them from a distance. So you're not really engaging with them. But I think now it is very much about empathy and being able to truly connect with people and feel with them. Um, And by doing that, it kind of completely transforms your relationship. It reduces tension within the team and ultimately improves the behaviour of everybody in the team. I mean, that's really hard for anybody in a leadership position at the moment because everything is on Zoom or everything is via emails and, you know, you're talking to everybody through a screen, you're not actually coming together. So it's even more important that I think um, leadership is very is, is through empathy at the moment. Um, yeah. And... You alluded to the the fact that the industry is is very challenging. What are what are some of the biggest uh, challenges that your industry is facing right now, or how do you see the significant changes impacting the industry over the next few years? Yeah, look, I think um, for us over the next you know let's say twelve months, because um, the next twelve months is going to be really hard for the events industry. I think the COVID-19 and the social distancing and how we manage that collectively uh, to ensure the regrowth of the, of the events industry is going to be vital and I think that there's enormous amount of work to be done, particularly from a venue perspective and how they're going to manage that so that we can get back to business events. You know, the industry um, is bracing itself to lose $35.7 billion nationally over the next 12 months as a result of 96% of business events scheduled for 2020 have now cancelled. And then that results ultimately in a 92,000 job loss across the country. So it's really important that industry comes together with government to get us back um, and operating as quickly as possible. You know, the tourism and hospitality and events industry was absolutely one of the first businesses to be significantly impacted. You know, we went from hero to zero overnight. Um, and, you know, we've seen hotels shut down, we've seen convention centres shut down, 
And I think just given the whole social distancing, it's going to be a while before we see all of that actually reopen and get back to the levels. Uh, it'll be a long time before we get back to the $35 billion industry. Um, but the next 12 months is very much about actually working together uh, with government and the industry so that we can safely run business events because business events are very different to a mass gathering, different to a concert and different to a festival. You can actually manage the risk and everything around them so that you could effectively run events. I, I probably not, you know, we probably won't get to 500 and 1,000 potentially until first quarter next year. But maybe towards the back end of this year, you know, we might get to maybe 500, depending on how the 100 go. I think the other challenge that we face will be the um, the level of nervousness of people who uh, are going to attend events. So, you know, do I go, do I not go? Is there going to be a breakout? What are the risks? I think people will, will be much more mindful of that in terms of their own personal safety and health and I think that um, I think that industry will kind of wait for somebody whoever that might be to dip their toe in the water so it might be an exhibition it might be a smaller meeting just to make sure that everything is safe as it can be in the current environment but yeah look, look we, we we face many challenges in our industry and never Never before has there been such an important time for us all come together for the benefit um, of the industry because it's so important. Yeah, what an awesome opportunity to actually lead, be part of leading through that that disruption and change. I'm going to ask you a question as an expert in the industry that I was asked the other day. Um, you know, given given everyone is relearning how to communicate online and there is a move to online webinars and keynotes and all that stuff. Um, do you think that this could be the end of in-person events um, as everybody moves to online? What's your view? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, I think I, I think probably what people have found with the online uh, options that are out there now is that they get a bigger potentially a bigger reach because you know all of a sudden you can open up and be global whereas before you might have been in a room in New South Wales with 300 delegates I think it probably opens up the reach but it will never take away from the networking and the personal connection that people get when they're actually in a live event I think that um I think that it will probably become a combination of things and uh, for us at the moment we're looking at, you know, how do we bundle things post-COVID to meet the needs of everybody. So, for example, Janine, that might be, you know, we've got you booked in for a gig and you're doing a keynote and then they say, listen, we'd also like Janine to come back and do a Q&A for 30 minutes in, in a week. But actually we also want this to be live streamed into our company in the U.S. And so I think things will change a little in terms of um, sort of hybrid. But, I, I, you know, and all the research previously that has ever been done in this space shows, you know, up there as being almost the number one thing is networking and their connection with people. 
And if you talk to people now, the one thing that they're craving is to get back and to connect and to be with people rather than doing everything um, via Zoom or whatever platform they're on. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think that the power of connection matters more than ever. Now, as as CEO, you've you've had to navigate a hell of a lot, really, in the last few months, like many. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been talking to many leaders who themselves have shared that the the emotional labor that they're feeling in terms of managing decision making, uh, trying to make sense of everything, uh, looking after the emotional well being of everyone around them, staff, clients, etc. Um, and they're feeling exhausted. How how are you managing yourself through this? What are some of the daily habits that that help you as um, as a key decision maker in your business, what are some of those daily habits that help you to be your best? Yeah, it's a really good question. And uh, actually, I would say that uh, before um, COVID, I was actually not very good at managing it. I was very, very much around work and then sort of everything else became a second. Um, I think that um, for me, it's very much about um, say being being comfortable in saying to yourself, you know what, I can't do this today. Mm. I I need a day. I need a mental health day. And being comfortable in taking that day to take time out for yourself and either just reconnecting within yourself and taking that time or, you know, for me it's about actually getting out and just walking, clearing my head, taking the dog, you know, I formed this uh, group pre-COVID with a bunch of girls and we go hiking. Of course, we solve the problems of the world when we're hiking. But um, uh, I really miss the hiking, so I've been doing a lot of walking. But I think, yeah, it's, I, I think it is actually recognising that, you know what, this is actually really hard. This is something I have never done before. Um, you're managing a team of people that are also in exactly the same situation They're going through something they've never been through before that are looking to you for all the answers. And, of course, you don't have all the answers. And, yeah, so I, for me it's very much about, you know what, I'm not doing this today. I'm going to take a day out and uh, I'm going to be kind to myself today. And then just getting back in the following day, um, I think that's okay. I, yeah. think I think it's actually really important. Yeah, that concept of getting back up again, of, of what you need to do to make sure you do that and taking ownership of, of, of yourself so you can bring the best of yourself to what, what it is that you're doing. Um, is there anything that you've dreamed of doing that you want to do? What's next for you? Oh, in from a personal or business perspective? Uh, I reckon both. Wow, that's a really big question. Um for me, I think from a career perspective, like um, uh, like you said it before, you know, I've sort of reached my pinnacle. This was really my pinnacle um, and I love what I'm doing. I love the business that I'm in and I love the team and I love our community. Um, so for me, I'm really content where I am at the moment and I don't, and whilst, you know, there's, absolutely opportunities to improve and change the business and there's so much opportunity within the business that is untapped um you know I would say that I am content but I'm still driven within the business if that makes sense Mm. and then from a personal perspective 
you know, the one thing I would love to be able to do right now, Janine, is to hug my daughter who lives in the UK. Yeah. And uh, I find, yeah, the, her, her being over there is really hard and they're in a much more severe lockdown than we are. So from a personal perspective, if I could do one thing at the moment, it would be to hug her. Oh, gosh, <laughs> don't we? We forget what everyone else is going through sometimes when we're in our own little bubble. And um, I think we're, we are incredibly lucky to be in Australia compared to what some of our friends and colleagues and family are having to, to experience now. Um, now, this, this podcast is all about unleashing brilliance. And you've very, uh, very kindly shared your own story to unleashing your brilliance. And I love, um, you know, when you, you listen back over your story, what's quite interesting is all that incredible experience of the tourism industry and the highs and lows through GFC and new competitors. Um, I bet there'll be a lot of that that you'll be pulling on right now as you're navigating a new industry through its own challenge. So it's always quite interesting how everything joins together. Yeah. But, um, you know, what What in your mind does unleashing brilliance mean to you? And if you could share some words of wisdom with uh, people that are listening right now that may be feeling a little bit beaten up, uh, questioning what's next for them, um, you know, feeling like they've got to start all over again as somebody that has um, literally been driven driven your career in numerous, I love the way that you've explored and got there in a different way. What what advice, what does Unleashing Brilliance mean to you and what advice would you share with our listeners? I think in terms of advice, I would say, and it's probably really hard at the moment because of, there's so much uncertainty, but have trust in your own capability and don't be afraid to say yes. You know, one of the things, um, and, and, you know, you see this not just in females, you see this in males as well. We all have this little voice inside our head saying, you know, that's beyond your, your capability or, you know, so walk away or you can, you know, maybe you could do five of those things but you can't do all ten things when really you should be leaning in. You know, you won't always get it right and you won't always get the job that you want. You know, if I can reflect for a minute, when um, I was looking to make a change out of hotels, um, the opportunity at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre came up twice. So I applied for the job at the Convention Centre twice and the first time I was unsuccessful um, and it was a job that I had wanted more than anything in the world. So I was absolutely devastated when I didn't get the role. Of course, it went to somebody who was incredibly deserving and actually had convention centre experience. So totally get it. But what I did was I went away and I looked at why I didn't get the job and what were the gaps and what did I need to do in the event that that opportunity came up again, whether that was in Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane or whatever. Anyway, as it turned out, the job did come back up again. And needless to say, second time round, I was successful in getting the job because I'd gone away. I'd learnt from my, you know, I'd learnt from my, okay, you said no. Tell me why you said no. Ask for feedback. One of the key things that uh, we don't do well, I don't think, and I think some, some leaders are really lazy, is that they don't give feedback to people to help them actually unleash their brilliance and to be the best that they can be. And I think 
Unleashing brilliance is also about finding brilliance and capability in other people and taking them and helping them guide them in their journey, even when they can't see it. So often you see people that are actually really, really capable and we do have a responsibility to our team to help them be their best. And for some people, you know, that might just be, I only want to do this job, that's all I ever want to do from nine to five, but you can still be your best in that job. And for others, it is very much about, I've got a career, I want to grow, I want the next step, et cetera. Um, A really good example of this is I worked with... um, a lady called Prue Rogers, who is actually now Prue Daly, married. Um, She and I worked together in the hotel industry. And when I moved into the convention centre, I needed to make a lot of changes in the sales team. Um, The convention centre at the time was very, very operationally led and it was not customer driven at all. So we need to sort of really, we needed to really pivot and change it from an operationally led organisation to a customer driven organisation. And so I I pulled Prue in from the hospitality industry where we had worked together and I just loved her capability and she was very much a doer. She said yes to everything. She was instrumental in helping me drive the change and you know there were times when we were really in an uphill battle against the whole operational side of the convention center and we just you know we just plowed through so she had this unbelievably great mindset as well Um, and so she you know she uh, persevered with the you know with the right mentoring and with the right leadership she's actually now moved across to New Zealand and is heading up the sales and marketing for the new New Zealand convention center so you know I just loved her journey and I just thought she was it's a really good example she was incredibly capable she just needed a little bit of direction a little bit of help but really um, she was given the autonomy, and I think that's probably another key word. People need autonomy to be able to also unleash their own brilliance to get on and do what they need to do. Um, yeah, so I think it's very much around saying yes, even when you don't think you can, because often somebody has said to you, you should do this, you can mm. do this. And so if somebody's backing you, back yourself. I mean, Somebody hasn't backed you because they think you can't do it. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Great advice. And I think uh, your comment at the end around autonomy as well, you know, I see in my work so many times that uh, organisations will spend a fortune trying to find the best and brightest to come in and take on a new role and They spend a fortune looking for these people. And then as soon as those individuals walk through their door, they're put in a box and required to conform. And yet um, I absolutely believe that within the four walls of organizations, the ideas exist if we could just unlock it. And with that, the same with individuals, with all of us, if we could just be brave enough to, to say yes and be ourselves, then who knows? what potential there is. And it's it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on this podcast. There are so many wonderful words of wisdom in terms of, you know, within your backstory, uh, the importance of functioning at your best um, as a leader, um, what this now means. And also thank you for sharing your thoughts on um, the industry and the need to work together 
to ensure that we collectively work through this and out of this. My last question really does um, relate to you. You know, we're often asked what you want to do next and what you want to become, but I'm always curious, what, what would you like to be remembered for? Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. And I think I'd really like to be remembered for being kind, um, not always having the answers, uh, and having a positive contribution to the industry through the board roles and the committees and et cetera that I'm on because I'm uh, very passionate about the industry, but also to be known for absolutely when I'm asked to do something or put into a job to actually know that I've done the very best that I can in the role that I am in. And it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today's podcast. Thank you for your time and for sharing so much. It's been great. Thanks, Janine. It's been my pleasure. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.